0: And welcome to yet another podcast for Smoke and Mirror, How Barbecue Reflects America, I'm your host, Christopher Tidmore, and it's our special Fourth of July edition for What is More Barbecue Than the Fourth of July? And we're talking with one of the leading experts in this. You've probably seen his clip at our website, smokeandmirrormovie.com. It's the ninth clip, and it's Byron Bradley. He's one of the experts on Southern cuisine and lecturers at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. He himself is a seasoned chef and a student of all the barbecue traditions around the country and around the world, as well as one of the uh, gurus of cuisine that I've, I've met in my life. And uh, Byron, welcome to the program. And I got to start off with this. I know you've been spending a lot of time lately, you know, helping with voter registration drives and all this, the community center you work with, and we're coming into the 4th of July weekend. I've got to ask you, even in the age of COVID with everything going on, barbecue is sort of intrinsic to the 4th of July, whether it's grilling or in-ground true barbacoa. And I've, I've got to ask, do you think that even in the age of COVID, we're going to be seeing huge amounts of barbecue this weekend?
1: Uh, oh, hey, hey, thank you for having me first uh to answer your question, I, I, I do believe COVID is not going to stop anybody from barbecuing, uh, especially that uh, a lot of cities have, have you know kind of relaxed some of their laws towards it. This is that this is last shot to, to have a barbecue before the city is shut back down. So <laughs> I am yeah, in full faith that uh, someone will call me with some, some barbecue plans. Just hopefully everyone is, is digging huge pits so we can stay as far away from each other as possible.
0: So let me ask you you walked us through in the clip the above ground in ground barbecue Dr. Conyers built but define barbecue for us in your viewpoint obviously there's there's so many de- definitions you're an expert so people know we'll talk about this in a second on southern cooking you lecture on it you've traced it its ruins how do you define barbecue
1: That's a nice that's a good question I like that how do I define barbecue I would I would define barbecue by what it has has grown to be, what it has grown to represent, and how people utilize it. Um, So to me, barbecue is one of the last ways, uh, the last communal ways in cooking. is still just ever so present in every culture. I think barbecue is is a staple in not only Southern cuisine, but a staple around the world in a way of coming together with people um, from the families to uh, uh, co-workers um, the, the barbecue is is one of the simplistic ways that the world can still bring people together uh, on all platforms you know for any reason you can barbecue for for any <laughs> any any predicament you would need food uh, weddings you need for for funerals for anything you know celebrations. Uh, and is universally used in that such. And I, th- I think it is a connecting yeah. element of, hum- of the human experience in cooking, you know? Uh, yeah. and I, everyone has a way of barbecuing. And <laughs>
0: we, th- we forget about, I mean, that's there's something primeval deep in our DNA about getting around a communal fire, not only cooking, but talking, sharing stories, sharing history. We can say, it, you and I are both from New Orleans, that the African-American experience and the reason why jazz, rock and roll, and for that matter, the history that was passed down had to do with barbecue. It had to do with meeting at Congo Square. It had to do with oral traditions that were basically shared over um, an in-ground barbecue pit.
1: All right. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Um, the history behind barbecue, I mean, beyond what people were cooking, what was accomplished in the premise of of, of barbecuing is is always an interesting thing to see in history. Uh, so much has been uh, uh, discussed over a barbecue pit in history. Um, so yes, uh, I'm an advocate barbecuer. <laughs> I'm an advocate for barbecuing, and um, I have learned in my experience in in whatever type of barbecuing you're doing, whether it's a pit or, or whether it's just a little a little cup of you know some coal with a little grill over it, and you're you're grilling one little piece of fish. You know, just the the, the ability to, to gather around a fire. I think. Is part of that <laughs> that thing that draws people to it. the pyromaniac in every individual, you know.
0: And I got to say, I mean, it really is. I mean, there's a reason why, in the Fourth of July weekend, we like fireworks. We like to think, see things blown up. And it's what is, more, what is more, what is more masculine in some ways, for for lack of a term. I, your friend Liz Williams came on with our Father's Day show, and she was talking about the fact that what most fathers really want to do on their on their Father's Days, and I think that's true of the Fourth of July. As well, Byron Bradley, I, I wanted to ask you this question. You're you're an expert on Southern cooking, and you follow the different traditions and the different evolutions of it. And what are the different traditions of barbecue around the American South? Because all I mean, if you follow here, here let's even get this. Having interviewed you and Liz for the uh, documentary, I heard the word came from barbacoa but the head of the North Carolina Barbecue Association says barbecue was born in North Carolina and it means barbe from the from the snout to Q on the back of the pig and it's not from a Caribbean word. <laughs> How do you come down to all
1: this? <laughs> well, I mean... I think I mentioned that in the the interview I did before at the at the museum as well that if you go to every every state will give you a different you know description on where barbecue may have come from and their originators of it is in regards to specifically the American style of barbecue in my in my research, I would find that the earliest examples of, of barbecue being used in uh, in the Americas came from both the South and the eastern coast with the just simple migration of, of uh, the English and French onto this land where people were already barbecuing. So I mean it's almost instantaneous on both ends, you know when uh, settlers came to the south as well as the north, Um, Indians were already practicing barbecue and the slaves that they brought had their own style of barbecue as well. So in a sense, you know, everyone started with barbecue. It's just a different style of barbecue. For example, in the On the eastern coast, uh, you had a lot of Africans that came in with their pit style of barbecuing, um, as well as the Indians with, with their stand-up pits. Uh, versus in the south here, you wouldn't find as many in-ground pits because of the moisture in the ground. Uh, you'll find a lot more of stand-up pits and charcuterie-style pits where you, you have something spinning over a fire. Uh, and, and as well, again, the, the Africans that were brought here brought their style of barbecuing. Uh, a lot of the western African styles of barbecuing were brought here. Uh, That were actually pretty similar to the Indian styles of barbecue. Uh, So, to answer your question, (laughs) no one necessarily had (laughs) the origin. To answer my question,
0: you can't really answer the the question. Yeah, it's like.
1: Uh, uh, In the States, the the States did not originate barbecue at at any. At any in at any fashion, you know, um if anything, there was just a collaboration of barbecue, a new branding of barbecue that happened once the states got involved, once the cultures of the states started to merge. you know, we we we've taken barbecue and brought it to different levels. Uh, so yeah, there's there's no right answer for that, but that is wrong to say that it started in South Carolina
0: <laughs> Byron, I, I was curious about barbecue. I remember when we interviewed you, you talked about, the purity of the items, and I, I was curious, do you have any thoughts on the, the environmental connections to how, not only what you barbecue, but how you barbecue, and how you raise the the animals and pigs, and, and basically uh, how barbecue fits in the overall environmental impact, both from producing the food and actually growing the pigs and cows that do it?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, well, yeah actually, that is a very deep co- uh, question <laughs> in regards to barbecuing, and it's funny that you say that, because it's well, not funny, but it it's, it's very um, very specific to the Indian perception of barbecue um, Indians truly or Africans as well, but Indians, it's more documented that they truly respected and and, and, and utilized nature in every aspect of what they did and barbecue was one of them um, even the simple fact that you know the ashes that you're using from the wood that that you're burning in this deep hole in the ground is going to turn into a great fertilizer, so Indians knew that after each pit that they that they that they were done with, or they, that they would it uh, would reuse each pit, you know, in the sense of growing something because they knew this was good fertilizing soil. Um, that was that land that little patch of grass would either be something for to feed the the next pasture of uh, of, of cattle that they may have had, or pigs, or whatever they may have been using, uh, and, and or uh, farming for food uh, from corn or whatever 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 they may have been growing. Uh, so the respect for and the the amount of attention that was put into nature as well as um, how they were utilizing nature was ever so present in the Indian culture. What else can I say about <laughs> it? <laughs> uh, in African culture. Yes, yes. In African culture, a lot of the barbecuing in African culture was based around huge pits as well because of the animals being so much bigger. And uh, just in India, it's just as in Indian culture with buffaloes where the, the, the entire village will feast off of one or two catches and the Africans did Similar things uh, when it came to their their hunts and the respect for nature and, and raising these animals um, mainly came from the Indian culture. Most of the African influence on barbecuing and, and and things of that nature came from their hunting. So it was more of a gathering and coming back. Indians did hunting as well, but it was more. Uh, they also had agriculture and more more consistently than you would see documented in African history. But all in all, still the same respect for the animals that they were hunting and respect for the land in the sense of reusing even the pits that they were using to barbecue and as a, a new patch of grass to fertilize. Uh, so and, yes,
0: and Dr. Conyers, was when he talked to us, was talking about the connection of farmer to barbecuing, of raising the animals, that at each and every stage, the animals were, were cared for and, and it affects the barbecue at the, at the final stage.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a very universal term as well, yeah, even, I mean, beyond barbecue into anything you're eating, uh, you know, chicken, uh, you're raising plants, you know, if you <laughs> if you keep feeding them, you know, uh, chemically altered dirt, you, you're you going to, your food's going to taste probably chemically altered, you know, if you're, same thing with the the, the psychological uh, aspect of uh, what it is you're raising, you know, if you're, You're raising pigs, and you antagonize these pigs all the time. (laughs) They're scared of you as an owner. You know, you start eating that meat for a couple of years, you know, it might actually start to affect, you know, your actual ability, uh, you know, in some kind of way, you know. So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I I think that concept goes very far.
0: I didn't really appreciate this, but some of the people we've interviewed, a couple of the farmers— they actually raise the pigs indoors in air-conditioned environments. And I said, "You raise pigs indoors?" And she said, "Well, yeah. I mean, why do pigs go in the slop? So they can stay cool. You raise them; they get sunburned. You want them to be happy through the whole process. You want them right. to be healthy. You want them to be right. k- maintained and, and uh, not coddled, but but actually have some quality of life because." Frankly, it's going to affect the meat, and I thought that was yeah that was one of the true revelations that I found in this entire process. So pigs had better accommodations than some people I know, but uh, Byron Bradley at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. I know you do these lectures on Southern cooking, and you've done it. And so, what have you learned about sort of the interactions? that people have, stories people have, uh, about barbecue as it links to their old, the incredible Southern culinary traditions that they bring to you, they talk to you, and that you turn around and teach others?
1: What is it people bring to me about there? Oh, I'm sorry. Huh? What, what, this what, is last
0: now, question. basically what I'm asking is, what have you learned in, in feedback from people? When you, when you teach these classes on Southern oh, cooking, okay. and, uh, and they bring up barbecue in their memories, what have you discovered?
1: Man, uh, that is <laughs> wow. That actually is a good question that 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 bridges a lot of of what we even have going on today. Actually, uh, in my in my experience in teaching barbecue to people, it it always brings about memories that are most cheerful for people. You know, in, in the most high points of people's lives have been around barbecue pits or pits just in cooking settings in general, but more particularly find people that have built cultures completely around the process of barbecuing right. and, and um, people that have, have, have started relationships and, and had all sorts of family traditions that began and continued through this 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 coming together with barbecue. Um, even in regards to culture specifically, you know, there are specific ways people barbecue that link to so many different heritages and so many different cultural beliefs and things. A very random uh, I'll give two very random ones. Um, in the sense of a bar mitzvah, you know, um, completely different way of barbecuing, but just the sense of coming together for bar mitzvahs. In the traditional days, they 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 had pits that they would be not just cooking their uh, uh, their lambs or anything else, but also their pitas and things of that nature. And it was always around these bar mitzvahs that you would that you'd have these types of cooking, these communal cookings. Um, the same thing in regards to when this is completely opposite, total opposite field. Same with the Confederate um, lifestyle, you know, the barbecuing of Confederates in, in the South. And um, there's plenty of uh, history that, that that speaks about uh, how much people came together um, and celebrated in the, uh, in the fashion of barbecuing for Confederate parties and for, for Confederate celebrations, and for, uh, political, party, uh, political uh, yeah. parties, things mm-hmm. of that nature. So it was
0: the The political one intrigues me being the Fourth of July weekend, that frankly, if you look at American political history, and I say this as a historian, um it essentially is a story of how many people held barbecues to campaign for office. I mean, it, it, right, yes, it's, right. it's, it's it's a it's a story of barbecue across the uh, uh, electoral generations
1: right exactly 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 yeah so it, it, it links even to this day and age um, you can you can probably think in your own history of where you've heard of a you know political barbecue or you know a, a barbecue that was influenced by uh, some type of political party or something it's like had a political nature <laughs> even even in our short history of just having the confederacy that is literally stapled in, in our in our history uh, the way that they, use barbecuing to come together and, and, and have these meetings and, and discussions on what their next plans were in this war. Uh, and the memories that so many people in the South have that are connected to that flag and barbecuing itself. Uh, it's 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 humbling in a sense uh, for for well, this kind of goes off track, but for a person that does not believe in what per se we were talking about the Jewish Bermits for or the Confederacy. It's it's sort of humbling to see that so many people would naturally just have those good feelings and memories from something that is given given so many opposite memories, you know, to, to others, you know. So it's a humbling sense to know that some people would never know the pain that came from the other side because everything they saw with regards to this and barbecuing and this flag, it came from a good part of their life, you know. So, no, I, so I, good mean, way of I I bridging that, that gap.
0: I just wrote an editorial for the Louisiana Weekly about something that happened for those for our listeners around the country, happened in New Orleans. We're, we're changing the name. Uh, Gail Benson, uh, who also owns the New Orleans Saints, owns the Dixie Beer Company, and they're changing the name of Dixie Beer. And this has been a major controversy. And as I'm talking to people... What the interesting part was, as I talked to mainly whites, but um, when they're saying, but it's, I have my Dixie, I watch my Saints game and I have a barbecue. And it was always the bar- word uh, barbecue always came positively. And I try to explain to them. Whereas the word Dixie is not inherently something connected to the Confederacy by its roots. It was the, the $10 note or the Deese notes that were produced by the yeah. Citizens Bank of New Orleans that was so wealthy after the Panic of 1837, it became the, the, the currency of the entire Mississippi value. And you'd say, I'm going down to the land of the Dixies was a way of saying, I'm going to sell my goods at the Port of New Orleans and get paid. And it just went right. on. But I explained to people, they said, well, what does that have to do with it? Why change the name? I said, well... As that evolved, um, you may not be you, you may have thought about this if you really gave time to think about it, but I said, you know, going down the land of the Dixies, it became Dixie land, and then it was put in a song about, you know, I wish I were in the land of cotton. And I, I'd say for people who are working on those plantations, those good times are, you know, would like to be forgotten or at least not remembered. And it has a different connotation with African Americans than it does with whites. But every time we've had this argument about this beer, every time on either side it would be like a friend of ours, uh, as you know, Wendell Pierce, would say, I drink Dixie beer at a barbecue, but I just, I can't look at it and not think that this is kind of killing the experience. And I'm saying, I'm saying Samuel White's, but you know, I'm having a barbecue. I'm just having a Dixie beer. What does this have to do with the Confederate flag or anything like this? And they're literally talking about the same experience and their emotional <laughs> reaction. They're talking, they're speaking about doing the exact same thing
1: yeah yeah literally yeah it's funny how it all connects yeah 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 I would say though, uh in regards to your comment about forgetting, I don't think people necessarily want to have these thoughts or the experience the negative experiences of this history forgotten. I would guess just respected enough to not be celebrated in a sense that that didn't happen as well, you know, um, so it's it's a better—it's
0: a, be, a better way of saying. It. I didn't mean forgotten, but I mean that it shouldn't be reveled in in this argument. But it it it, it all connects. I mean, we're talking about Southern culture, and um, you know, it's uh, we the, the truth is on on so many fundamental levels. And this is the one thing I love about barbecue. Frankly, in the South, we can be very racially and ethnically divided. Yet the traditions cut across uh, those groups. And it reminds me sometimes in barbecue that we share more in common than we do, it, it, strangely enough, in our traditions and our outlook it, that separate us. And it's it, um, in a time in this nation's history where we're dealing with and we're confronting with some very difficult and deep-wrenched emotional, institutional, racial problems and we're trying to get a handle on it. It's nice to know when you're talking about barbecue and food in general that these traditions actually bind us together.
1: Right, right, right. We're a lot more familiar than we like to admit, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you completely. And barbecue is a very good connecting point for that. It traces literally into every culture and even to this day. So yes. <laughs> I, I barbecue would... should be part of the, the campaigning, like right? save barbecue. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> and well and that's and that's, and that's a good way to sort of close out our conversation, Byron Bradley. The way we started doing this documentary, it was not on, on all the these issues of society and race and ethnicity and uh, income. It was to do a docu- a very short documentary on the first U.S. Open of barbecue that was happening in New Orleans, the first time that there was a competition where that were brought, um, where you earned your way through points by winning other regional barbecue competitions. It brought the whole thing together. And we thought this was an incredible experience to talk about this. And of course, it opened entire doors of, of, of a world looking at America. But I'm curious about bringing it back to that, the, the idea that... Barbecue as an art form—it's it, sort of been the stepchild of cuisine. You're a trained chef. You—you're—in you're, uh, fact, you're a very successful chef as well as a, a, a professor of, of of culinary teaching at, at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. But I'm—I'm I'm curious. Hey, that, you but,
1: make me sound so good. Thank you. <laughs> a,
0: I speak only the truth, my friend. But, <laughs> but it, it's sort of this competition. One of, the re, one of the reasons we were initially intrigued was that barbecue, we thought, was finally getting its due as an art form in in, in the culinary tradition. That for the most part, if you were a chef, you're like, I'm a chef, I do this, and then there's barbecue. That's not real cooking, whereas it is as much an art form as anything else you will do. And I was wondering if you could sort of talk on that and wrap us up.
1: Oh, definitely. Yes, sir. Uh, Barbecue is Definitely like the stepchild of cooking. <laughs> one of the, uh, you know, and uh, definitely an underdog in cooking as well. You know, one of the, the primary, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, the primarial, uh, one of the fundamental ways of cooking that were from primeval. there we go. The primeval ways of cooking um, that, that stretch across every culture. Uh, it is the one that has never been, been, been appreciated the way it should. It should. The premise of how barbecue is now brought to that light, I think is due to the level of respect that is that is recognized now and the the true accomplishment of good barbecue, you know, because uh, anyone can attempt a barbecue. You can kind of almost make any barbecue kind of good as long as you slither it with some kind of sauce. And every every culture has their different sauces. Yada, yada. So it's, you can kind of get away with being a very amateur chef and still be able to barbecue, but to truly get the good, Barbecue, I think, is really being recognized now in in this day and age because people are now so so much more particular about the way they're eating their food. So to have something that tastes actually smoked the right way and still be juicy and all of the particular aspects of barbecue that people are now noticing and appreciate versus just burning something on the grill and throwing a sauce on it, which which anyone could do, um, I think that is now bringing a light to the art form that barbecue truly is and giving it's due diligent respect in, in, in our field in culinary. I think, and eventually in a few years, I think <laughs> not only barbecue, but other aspects of cooking will be, will be signaled out just as much as uh, you may see chefs in their pastry chefs. You're going to start seeing uh, pit master, you know, well, as, as you see it already pit masters and things of that nature, but I think all of those levels of, of, of being a chef, those particular, um, styles of of being a chef will start to gain their own category and respect uh but barbecue's level of that has been well overdue being that it's it's being stretched from every culture every culture has their way of barbecuing every and barbecue dates back thousands of years in every culture so <laughs> uh well overdue for barbecue but it's good to see that it's now coming to get the respect that is is deserved.
0: Yeah. Low and slow in the ground, over the coals, and a lot of patience and love in the process. Um Indy. Byron Bradley, I want to thank you for joining us. And I want to say that the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, uh, one of great success, is reopening on July 7th. It's going to be uh, in the public in a limited way. But I, I was curious, are you going to restart some of your classes in the next few months? Uh, I know, uh, even remotely, or uh, how is how's that going? Because you, you for those, explain what you do, but you've taught Southern uh, cooking there at the museum for several years.
1: Yeah, so I own a pilot program called the Southern Favorites Cooking Classes that I run through the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Um, now, uh, that's actually the new conversation is figuring out to how the the cooking classes will now be be executed at the museum. Uh, We haven't fine-tuned the specifics as to when we will actually start, but the conversations have started as to how we're going to continue the cooking classes. And yes, indeed, my classes are definitely on that list. (laughs) So uh, you will be, uh, as the museum is open, surely... Uh, within the next couple of days coming days or weeks the classes will start to unfold as well and um my classes uh, southern favorites cooking classes will also be a part of that that new phase of uh, classes um starting uh as well as pop-ups we're starting we're going to start doing pop-ups in the space that the restaurant Toops was in at the restaurant i mean at the museum so that i'm excited about that too getting some of those going Oh uh, 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 so, yes,
0: and uh, but for those that, for those who are visiting New Orleans, it's a must visit. Not just the museum, which is an incredible place. It's the uh, Southern Food and Beverage Museum and Museum of the American Cocktail. And for barbecue lovers, it actually has a classic barbecue joint, actually re- rebuilt into it. That was a blues joint because music and barbecue come together. But the, the uh, uh, where, where the where the Restaurant was, it actually has one of the oldest bars in New Orleans uh, from the historic Brewings Restaurant. It's an incredible space, and to eat there is just like eating in a point of history. So, so It's very much. And one of now
1: those. we have a gumbo. Uh, what is the uh, the outside space that we have? The gumbo yeah, garden. Outside. The gumbo garden. Gumbo garden, yes. Yeah. Gumbo something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where there is yeah, yeah. an above ground, uh, in the ground uh, barbecue pit de- designed by our resident rocket scientist, quite literally, Dr. Howard Conyers. Sure. So you can uh, you can do a full pig or full cow barbecue and have a whole thing. And we're hoping to do some images. I got to tell you, Byron, we'd, we'd love to come back and actually barbecue all night and film this whole thing there. So it would be kind of Oh, uh, man, that would be amazing. Uh, <laughs>
1: please give me a call. I, I hope that we can invite Dr. Howard, and please, let's, let's do that. <laughs> that sounds good.
0: And if somebody wants to track your class and what's going on in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, how would they do that?
1: Ah, so uh, you can go on the website and on their calendar uh, will be available spots for when my classes are available, um, as well as the other cooking classes that are available. On the, um, If you click the link in on the Southern Food and Beverage website in regards to their events and everything going on on their calendar, there will be dates where classes are available and you'll be able to find my southern favorites cooking classes there when they are available yes so uh, that yeah that's, that's the easiest way other than that um social media i'm sorry um facebook um instagram the the handle is all the same uh southern favorites cooking classes yes and we're at the southern food and beverage museum i hope to see anyone that's is willing to learn some Southern favorites. For example, uh, each month we cater to a different state uh, and the favorite dishes that was uh, cultivated from cultures that settled in that state. Uh, for example, with uh, Tennessee, uh, I did a, there's a class where I'm teaching this chicken that they eat in Tennessee called Prince, uh, hot Prince chicken. Uh, oh, Wow. I think I have it wrong, but it basically is a, a chicken that is, is doused in a hot sauce. The story behind it, this is just a quick little preview, the story behind it of uh, this 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 gentleman named Prince. His name was actually Prince. Uh, his girlfriend was sporadic with him for cheating on him all the time. So one one Saturday morning, she was fed up with it and she, she fried him some fried chicken. She knows he loves fried chicken and she doused it with as much hot sauce as she could and trying to hurt him. And he actually enjoyed it. <laughs> it turned into a, a whole thing, you know, um, oh, all great. over the state. So little notes like that and uh, experiences and little details of states that you likely not known are part of my class. And, uh, yes, please come come learn some more.
0: We'd love it. Uh, the website, of course, is southernfood.org, southernfood.org. And Byron Bradley, thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure having me. Uh, well, thank you for listening, anyone, and... Uh, be safe. Stay corona-free.
0: And remember, you can check out Byron's clips. It's the ninth clip at com. That's com, where you can hear this podcast and all of our podcasts as well. I'm Christopher Tidmore, and I'll see you next week.